McFly think? I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It. A podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment. And the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual. This podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Come on, twist again! Welcome, friends and foes, saints and sinners, to part three of Twisted Scripture and Christian Cliches on Stop and Think About It. Today I have with me Steve, also known as the Brooklyn Berean. That's me. We also have Glenroy, the West Indian wordsmith. God is our judge. Yes, he is. And I'm your host, Phil, also known as the Sensei. Have you guys picked up on the reality that the world is going a bit nuts on the phrase, don't judge? I try not to judge at all, (laughs) ever, in anything. Have we ever? There you go. Now, when have you recently heard this statement, or perhaps in what context have you heard it? Definitely in the case of sexual sins, homosexuality, transgender, and in a general sense of, you know, just, you know, let's cut each other some slack. Yeah, yeah. Even at the uh, Planet Fitness Gym, their slogan is the judgment-free zone. I don't know how that works when people have to pay with their monthly tuition, though. Hilarious commercials, though. There you go. I love it. Also in the area of, like, discernment. So if you see someone preaching false teaching... Yes. And you say something, what's the first thing you hear? Don't judge. Don't judge. You're, you're being judgmental. Don't name names either. Look at either. all the good things he does. Okay, but we're not talking about the good things he does. We're talking about the bad things he's doing. Yeah, that's like a child molester. He bought somebody a lollipop, and so you point to that one thing he did that's good, so to speak, with all the bad things he did to children. I mean, yeah, does yeah, it and, really matter at that point? No, and, and, and what happens is sin gets normalized. We fall further and further from the goal of holiness, especially in the church. We, we devolve into this, what, moral relativism. When relativism in the term that nothing is, is, is uh, objective. There's no objective truth. Everything is up to interpretation. Yeah, you design your own truth, you make up your own truth, and if somebody says something you disagree with, like you're not allowed to say anything. And, and I think popular culture kind of feeds into that. And, um, if you watch a TV show, they spend a lot of time saying, well, yeah, he, he, he raped kids, but he was abused when he was younger. You know, he murdered someone, but, you know, he had a rough childhood. And it's like, okay, is murder wrong? Is I, I mean, it, it's interesting to find out what led up to that, but he committed a crime. Yes. Are we supposed to judge that or can or do we say no because there's a reason why he did it? Yeah, I had a teacher uh, ask me uh, really probing and he was asking me, well, you know, so what? where do you think about Muslims and, you know, where they're going to uh, spend eternity, you know, uh, as a Christian? And he was saying it, you know, he wasn't really asking because he was inquisitive. Mm-hmm. He knew the answer. And I said, you're a teacher. You give out tests. Mm-hmm. Don't you make judgments when kids get wrong answers? Don't you put the red X through it? Mm-hmm. He wouldn't talk to me mm-hmm. because he saw that his presuppositions were just so faulty. He was contradicting himself by what he was saying. Yeah. So it was a major problem there. Yeah. Now, now the, the last podcast we did, we just follow up in the series. We talked about the, you know, the three methods, investigation, um, interpretation, implementation. I think we should probably add something to the beginning of that. In terms of this, looking at it, common sense in the, the verses in common sense, does it make sense? 
get the preconception out of there, just read it plainly. You know, what is it saying? You know, and I think a, a good method is what is it not saying? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so did Jesus, the one making the statement, ever judge anyone? Never. never. He, he wouldn't call anyone hypocrite or dog or anything like that. No. Yeah. He would never call anyone Satan. No. No. He wouldn't say that to Peter. No, no. No, get thee behind me, Satan. So he uses these words. He calls people hypocrites, dogs, swine, even verses after that, which is found in Matthew chapter 7. What did he say about the scribes and the Pharisees? That they were hypocrites. Whitewashed tombs. Yeah. Blind leading blind. The blind leading the blind. Is that twice as much as son of hell? He said he they would make their disciples twice as much as son of hell as they are. And imagine if imagine, Pastor, if you said to someone, Your your father is a devil. Woof. That's a judgment right there. That is a judgment. Thankfully, Jesus never said that. He never said that. Right? And Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Mm. Wasn't he picking on poor Judas? Yeah, yeah. Right? And he said of Judas, it would have been better if he had never been been born. born. Right. Woo! And he was his creator. Wow. 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 Mind blown. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, and actually read it in context. So the first verse says, judge not, lest you be judged. This is where people stop. That's, there's no more, there's more to it? Yes, but wow. wait, there's more. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we can't do it. Don't judge. No judging, because <laughs> everyone's done something wrong at some point in the past. And that's not what this is saying. Oh, okay. Verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So let's apply the three steps here that we spoke about in the previous podcast, investigation, interpretation, implementation about judgment. So we read it in context. Now, who's speaking here, right? Uh, Jesus. It's Jesus. Okay. And this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So you'd have to go all the way back to Matthew chapter five and verse one, where Matthew writes, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So now we have our audience, the people that Jesus is speaking to. And this is important to know. So, so it's unbelievers too. It's unbelievers and his disciples. Absolutely. And what trade would have used the phrases dust and beams? Carpenters. Carpenters. All right. And by the way, most likely, who had that trade? Jesus. Right. Most likely, we're not exactly sure, mm-hmm. but um, most likely he was a carpenter. He, he wasn't have... a televangelist? He definitely wasn't oh, a televangelist. Okay. He was an evangelist, just not a televangelist. <laughs> Glenn, there were no telephones back then. Wow. <laughs> I mean, televisions? <laughs> yes, and televisions. <laughs> An- I've, never heard of a, I've never heard of a telephone evangelist. <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, I get them all the time. When they call me up on the phone and I get to share the gospel Stay with them. Stay tuned to the Stop and Think About It podcast on technology. Tools. There you go. <laughs> so if we weren't supposed to judge, how can you judge the beam in your brother's eye or the speck in your own eye? You couldn't. You couldn't do it. Impossible. Common sense is not so common. And Jesus himself was making a judgment call 
when he commands others not to judge? No. no. Wouldn't Jesus be a hypocrite? Wouldn't he be a contradicting himself if he, in fact, did this? Yeah, it sounds like he's explaining how to do it. Yes, and that's and that's where this is driving because Jesus is making a judgment here. So how can you make a judgment and at the same time tell people don't judge? Now, if you're saying someone is great, wonderful, I, no one says don't judge. Nobody says that. It's always a negative. Why? Why? I think we're going to get to the heart of that. But that's that's the thing. It's sin. <laughs> that's the heart of the problem. Oh, wow. I, what, what is that? Say it again. Sin. Sounds really bad. <laughs> it sounded kind of creepy. <laughs> sin is creepy. <laughs> don't say it, don't say that to your wife, man. You know, you might be sleeping on the couch. So we go to step two, interpretation. So Jesus forbade harsh condemning judgment that self-righteous legalism promotes. So, Glenn, what's self-righteous legalism? Well, I, I ca- actually call it self-selective legalism, where you 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 pick and choose which laws um, you can fulfill and then apply it to other people. Right. And so Jesus demands the exercise of moral and theological discernment. So, Steve, why do we? Why must we have theological discernment? Because how will you know what's right or wrong? Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm left up to my own self to determine what's right or wrong. Nine out of nine, ten, ten out of ten times. Yeah, ten I'm out gonna, of ten. Yeah, ten. <laughs> Th- that's the second ultimate. <laughs> nine out of nine times. Well, you know, I can't count to ten. So, you know, but ten out of ten times, we're going to do what's wrong mm. because, by nature, we gravitate towards what's wrong. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Now, if I walk up to the, on the street and I see some guy, and I go, "Dude looks like a rapist." I know nothing about him. That's the kind of judgment we all agree is kind of from shooting from the hip. Yeah, you're shooting from the hip. But now, if I saw that same guy a week later on the news, there's fingerprints, there's evidence, there's video. And a conviction. And a conviction, right? There's there's testimonies, and they all agree with each other. Mm-hmm. And all the evidence points. Now, if I say that person's a rapist, now I'm not making a wrong judgment. I'm making a right judgment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because somebody who rapes someone is called a rapist, not a non-traditional dater to be politically correct. Right. I right. mean, it's a serious thing. So Jesus forbids pronouncing another person guilty before God and bringing condemnation upon them when you don't know that. Exactly. So again, doing a lot of evangelism in the streets, a guy will say something to me, well, you're judging me and saying I'm going to hell. I say, I've never said that to you. I said that all those that don't repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ will go to hell, and you have yet to do that. But I don't know if before you die, you will or will not do that. I can't right. say that. Right. Because the thief on the cross at the last moments of his life, he turned to Christ. He repented of his sin. He called he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He acknowledged Jesus as a king. There's no elect stamp on everyone's head, foreheads. No. So we believe in election. We're all reform guys. And so we believe that God, yes, has predestined people from before the foundation of the world, just like the scriptures says. But I don't know who's elect and who's not elect because people are not walking around with an E on their forehead for elect. So Jesus forbids, again, pronouncing judgment on someone and condemning them to hell when you have no idea if they're going to hell or not. So when you judge others, 
right? Only judge others when you have applied the same standard to yourself. So if you're telling other people, you know, listen, you shouldn't steal from a store and you go in the store and you're stealing from the store. But how can you call, how can you make a judgment upon that person if you're doing the same thing? Can I just jump in here? A good example we see of judging. Yes. So we see it in Romans chapter one, Paul condemned the whole Gentile world. Yes. Wow. So he condemned the world that had general revelation, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And they wouldn't repent of their sins and they love their sin. And so Paul judges them. And he left it there, right? Yeah. No. So then Paul is writing a diatribe. He's he already has these opponents in his head. He knows they're gonna. So he knows what the Jews are gonna say. They're gonna say, "Yes, Paul, condemn those dirty, right rotten, scoundrel, you know, dirty dog Gentiles." And right. Paul says in chapter two, "Not so fast. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very." same things. He's saying they had general revelation and they rejected it. You have special revelation and you're rejecting it. You're doing the very same thing they're doing. And that's what kind of judgment Jesus is condemning. So let's move to step number three, implementation. So this verse, how do you implement it? Right? It's not telling us not to judge, but it's teaching us how to judge. Correct. Like Glenn said before, we don't want to have uh, shoot from the hip judgment. I learned that from Phil. Not <laughs> not the action, but the phrase. There you go. <laughs> and so we should weigh several things when we see someone doing something we think is wrong. Number one, is this a believer or an unbeliever? Right. I right? Think, I, think, I think that's a big distinction, right, Steve? I mean, if, if I see a brother doing something like lying, cheating, I'm going to... It's a different conversation than someone who is an unbeliever. Well, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's still, you know, and if an unbeliever is lying, it's still wrong. Right. But I'm going to approach it differently. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, secondly, is this a church discipline matter? Uh, are we showing someone their sin to bring them to Christ? Right. And that's the believer-unbeliever thing. If it's an unbeliever, yeah. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to say, hey, this is what I'm saying about when we say you're dead in our trespasses and sins. Look what you just did. Right. For a believer, it's church discipline. Hey, yes. Well, first, it's, 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 it's following the steps. You, if, you, if your brother sins go against you, go to your brother. Yeah. You yeah, we dealt do, with that before. How do you do church discipline without judge, judging? Yeah. And, how do you, yeah, and how do you approach your brother? It says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Right. right. So you're bringing his sin to him mm. and making him aware of it. You're making a judgment that what you did was sinful. Well, based on what uh, uh, what are you judging? What do you What is your standard? Well, my standard is the word of God. Amen. And yes, as a yes. Christian, we judge each other according to God's word, which mm. is the the ultimate standard. Mm -hmm. And so it's not my opinion. Right, because we all have opinions, but my judgment must be based on truth, on the word of God. And the point of my confronting you is not to condemn you, but that you would repent and 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 be restored. So it's not it's not Phil's twelve rules of of good behavior. No, it's only oh, ten rules. I'm ripping that book up. <laughs> so we don't judge people, and we don't want to. So we see people maybe the way they dress and the way they act. Our our job and our goal is not to conform them to our image. Right. We right. want to conform them to the image of Christ and the standard which we use is the word of God. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter if we don't like that. It's what does the Bible say about it? Right. Yeah. When they were looking for a king to anoint one of Jesse's sons and Samuel went through, no, it must be this guy. It must be this guy. Yeah. No, he's it's tall. None of them. He's handsome. Oh, he's a leader. You're talking about me? Oh, wait. I'm not tall. 
I was looking at you at that time, but no, I didn't mean you. And then they pick David. Definitely Steve. Right? They pick David, and they're like, yeah, he's the little runt out there. It yeah. surely can't be yeah. him. Now I'm talking about you. Now you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> But we see this. People become legalistic. So yeah, somebody yeah. sees a Christian drinking. Right away, they judge him. That's wrong. Yeah. Based on scripture, can you say that that's sin? No. 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 Because the no. Bible doesn't condone, condemn drinking, right? But it does condemn drunkenness. Right, right, yes. right. You're ascribing motive, you're nitpicking. It's all of that's being done in one little shot. Yeah, and so God says, Don't don't about David, don't look at his outward appearance, mm-hmm. for the Lord looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. So he's looking under the covers at what we can't see. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So um the heart is important. Do we acknowledge that we are just as sin soaked and do the same things or that we would do the same things as maybe that unbeliever or that younger believer if it had not been for Christ. And, and that's and that's that speck and, 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 and beam or speck and plywood thing is talking about. The heart that you have for that confrontation is you, is your problem bigger than what they're actually doing. Yeah, so yes, take the telephone pole out of your eye. Absolutely. You we sure agree. it's not a television? We, <laughs> it might be it. a television. <laughs> Flat screen. <laughs> but uh, after you've taken the telephone pole out of your own eye, you still say something about the speck in your brother's eye, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. if it's a sin issue, even if it's a small sin issue, the little foxes spoil the whole vineyard. Yeah. So it could be something that's small, and if that baby grows, it can grow ugly. A little yeah. leaven leavens the whole lump. Yeah. Boom. And I, and I think a principle is, is yes, you can judge, but yeah, we should pause. Just, you know... Think about, think about, like, you know, we have a fourth one coming, but think about these things before you just jump out and start saying stuff. That's all it's saying. Be wise in how you address it. Don't be fearful, but be wise. Now, what about and, this last and point? And don't be condemning. Mm. The yes. purpose is not for condemnation. It's right. for restoration. You want to exactly. help the person grow in their sanctification. For a believer. So, so it's really unloving for me if I see you or Phil doing things and I say, well, I just don't want to judge them. Yeah. When I know what you're doing is it contrary to the Word of God, no matter how small it might be, yeah. right? Yeah. It, I would be unloving not to confront you, fearful that you might think I'm judgmental. Mm-hmm. Now, I need wisdom on how to do it, right? right? It, Maybe it, I shouldn't act right away, give it some time, feel it out, pray. It may, say, you know, Especially and, if it's uncharacteristic and it's never been done before and it happened once mm-hmm. five years ago. Okay, yeah. let it go. If it's a, every week he's doing this, he probably, one of the things is, Steve, I may not even know. Mm. So many times we're not aware yeah. of yeah. something we're doing wrong, and we're hurting people in the way we speak. Mm. And and yeah, so we need to be corrected. We need to be judged, but it's with righteous judgment for Amen. the purpose of 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 sanctification, not condemnation. Yeah, mm. I mean, mm. look at these two scenarios. One, the way Nathan approached David, he told him a parable, and then when David said, "I would kill that man," he said, "You are that man." Yeah, right. And then we have that Paul withstood Peter to his face. Because he he had some prejudice in his heart, mm-hmm. you know that he wouldn't fellowship with and, the Gentiles. And did Peter stop talking to Paul? And they were at war. Or did he say, "Hey, this guy says listen to Paul"? <laughs> he right. says, "Listen to Paul." Right. And so, I mean, we see conflict in the scriptures, mm-hmm. and we see judgments being made even among God's people unto God's people. And but look at how incredible God is. Two things. One we see the judgment that was wrongly placed upon Christ as a criminal. God did his greatest work in the midst of judgment. Wow. And then remember when Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement 
between them, they separated ways. What did God do? He sent the gospel out in two directions, mm-hmm. right? And it was over John Mark, and then later on, Paul reconciled with John Mark, right? And it was, and it was basically about, and the separation wasn't. I'm just so upset. I'm never going to. It's like okay, it's it's not working out. I love you, brother. I'm gonna go here. You go there. Let's let's meet back up again. It's it's that's the right way. It, it's not an anger, and we're never going to resolve it. But hey, we're kind of hot right now. We're not going to resolve this. I respect you. You respect me. True story. And I think the issue is the word judgment. It just sounds very severe, right? Like you hear people say, you know, you're going to be judged. People f- are fearful when they hear you're going to go before the judge, mm-hmm. you know? So the whole, just the word judgment is not a, 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 a word that invokes, you know, joy and, and happiness. It, it invokes fear, mm-hmm. right? And condemnation because we know we're sinners, Right. We have guilt because we're sinners, mm-hmm. and so we want to avoid judgment. But for the Christian, we should love judgment. The word judgment alone, right, as a Christian, brings joy. Why does judgment, the sound of God's wrath and judgment, why does that bring me joy? Because I know that I can approach God because of judgment and wrath, because God poured out his judgment and wrath upon Jesus who died in my place, so now I'm free to approach God because God judged Jesus as a sinner, though he didn't sin in my place. So now God is not going to judge me. So we look at the negative side of judgment a lot, but Jesus is talking about the good side of judgment. When we judge people, it's for good, not for evil. God disciplines everyone he loves. Yes. And he's got to make a judgment to do that. And so if you're calling out a heretical preacher and teacher and you call T.D. Jakes a heretic for denying the Trinity, that's being judgmental. However, this would be a righteous judgment. And if you look at John chapter 7, verse 24, which is a great supporting verse to this, Jesus tells us to make a righteous judgment. Well, how do you make a righteous judgment? You make a judgment based on the word of God. And so if someone denies what's in the word of God, and yet people are saying this person is a brother or this person is a sister, they may be in error. But if this is a a serious Christian doctrine like the Trinity, man, that person denying it, that's a heretical preacher. And so that's a major problem. And so we need to call out names of people and call people heretics if, in fact, that they are. You know, so so I'm kind of nuanced on this. I, I don't do it personally. I'm not in the habit of saying, well, this guy's bad, this guy's bad. But you've helped me in the past, Steve, where I, I've mentioned a name. And you're like, Glenn, you know that they believe this. And I'm like, I didn't know that. Let's get away. Like I said, you were talking about judgment's a bad term. It's not a bad term. I, I I need that protection. I want to know what these people believe and what they've ascribed to. If I'm going to, like, they, people ask me all the time, well, do I think this guy's good? Right. What about this book? And, I, and, and, and we, we, as other, we as believers should be naming names because I don't know, I'm not able to read and follow every single thing that's happening in social media in the world right now. And so if you tell me, name whatever pastor said this, now, I don't have to believe what you said immediately. I'm going to do an investigation to find out if that's so. Yes. But things change. We're all human beings. We vacillate back and forth. And you have to name names. You can't just say some pastors would say this. That doesn't help me. Yeah. And that doesn't help me as a person who's going to be influencing other people to say, okay, these doctrines are okay. These books are okay. 
Sure. We have to take name. Well, imagine this. Imagine if you were a shepherd in Israel and your sheep were eating poisonous plants. You wouldn't just say, okay, you know, no big deal. Let them figure it out. Yeah, let them figure it out for themselves. I'm not going to judge these plants. Right. I'm not going to judge my sheep, you know, just let them eat whatever they want. So as a pastor in the local church, if I see someone walk in with an Osteen book, a T.D. Jakes book, a Cruflo Dollar book, I'm going to speak with that person. I'm going to warn them because they care about them. I don't want them eating poison. Now, now, now. But this is also true with people who historically have been sound in faith. Right, that's so, what I'm saying. So there's a lot of people now who yeah. are embracing, like I said, cultural Marxism and all this craziness going on. And they have a history of being very uh, uh, sound in their faith. So like as someone who is concerned about sound doctrine and yes. we have like young believers in our church and people who we want to encourage, we have to be very judgmental in who we recommend. Correct. Because you can recommend someone who's good but is leaning towards this social justice movement Yes. And if you, the person trusts you, he's looking to you as a spiritual father, as a spiritual leader, as someone who's uh, uh, able to, you know, guide him and lead him in the right way. So he trusts you. When you say, listen to this guy, he's going to listen with no uh, 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 filters. He's going to be like, oh, you know, I'm just going to accept it. If if Steve said it's good, Mm -hmm. then I receive everything. But this guy's starting to teach that, you know, people need to repent of their whiteness or all this crazy stuff going on. So even with guys who have been sound and orthodox over the past years, mm. we need to make judgment and say, hey, listen, I can't recommend this guy anymore. Yes, he has so much good to say, mm. but I just don't know where you're going to run into this other stuff that he's teaching. Right. And if you're not able to discern it. I care enough about your soul that I'm going to warn you, you know what? It's better to stay away from this guy until he figures it out. Either he repents of it and moves on or he just goes full full into it. But here's some better options. So at least you're safe and I don't have to worry about them embracing some false ideology that I recommended them. Yeah, <laughs> to, and, to and, and that's to. my fear. That's my great danger because sometimes you will recommend someone and you don't hear about it for two, three years. And that person's just... They're not going to, most people won't come back to you and say, hey, I heard this. this is, it's like Glenn recommended it. Pastor Pete Phil recommended it. It's we did that on a podcast of One is Pentecostalism. We recommended a book by Greg Boyd. Mm-hmm. The book is excellent, mm-hmm. but we didn't know that Greg Boyd was an open theist. Mm-hmm. And when we found out, we made a disclaimer mm-hmm. and we said, listen, mm-hmm. you can read this book. But don't listen to anything else Greg Boyd says because he's off. But he's an ex one is Pentecostal, so he understood Mm -hmm. the doctrine and how wrong it is. And so the book is a good book, but I wouldn't trust him with anything else. So we have to make judgments when we're recommending resources to people to say, hey, you can read this guy here. But I wouldn't read this guy here. And, and I think that's an important point. Like I had, uh, when I was listening to, to radio a lot, there was a guy who, um, uh, I'll name his name, Michael Brown. Okay. He, he, he was, I was listening to him and I agree with him on the homosexual agenda. I agree with him on a lot of issues, a lot of things that are affecting the Christian community as a whole. And then his positions on charismatic things, his position on most theological things i disagree horrible you know and, and, and he gives credence to all these false teachers and right. he won't call them out yeah. i was actually i can't as, recommend them yeah. with good conscience i was at the brownsville revival mm-hmm. back in uh 88 87 founding member founding member no in uh, in pensacola <laughs> you, got, you, you got to clarify some and of this michael <laughs> brown was there 
Right. And so I, I saw the craziness that went on yeah. that he was, uh, you know, uh, approving of. Yeah. People rolling and barking and ha- like just craziness. And once again, you know? we're not attacking Michael Braun. I'm no. just saying I wouldn't recommend him. Yeah, period. No, I couldn't. You know, I'm not character assassinating. I'm saying theologically, I can't recommend you. He, How he is that wrong? He defends the woman who teaches that there is a sneaky squid spirit that we have to be careful of. <laughs> what? Squid exactly. spirit. No, the sneaky squid spirit. Oh. Jennifer LeClaire, I think her name is. And he's defending her, saying, well, how do you know God didn't show her that? Yeah, so I don't <laughs> want anyone sending us an email, why are you attacking XYZ? No, we have to make substantive um, um, arguments. And, 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 I, and I think it's disingenuous to say some people, there are some pastors. One, one famous pastor says this, we got to see who it is. Now, if it's, if it's something innocuous, yeah, I will put a disclaimer. But if it's someone who is multiple times in many different venues public private books videos cds says something i believe i'm going to take him at his word and say he believes this sure i mean even a broken clock is right twice a day but you're not going to use that clock when you're putting your turkey in the oven for thanksgiving right not not you glenn but others because you don't do thanksgiving but (laughs) you give thanks every day though yes but it is amazing because if you read the new testament one topic Keeps coming up over and over and over and over. I'm on the Be edge of my seat. Beware of false teachers. Yes, false right? prophets. I mean, it's almost in every book, and yet you never hear pastors today warning people about false teachings because it's judgmental. We don't want to judge. So they I mean, warn you not to judge, but not to stay away from false teachers. Well, look at, I mean, Jude wanted to write a letter. And he said, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about a common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to, like you said before, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered why? to the why? saints. Why? 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 Because they came in unaware. No one was in, naming them. Exactly. They came in unaware. People weren't calling them out. They were hiding uh, amongst the sheep. Mm-hmm. Right, and they were false teachers, and people were, didn't want to be judgmental and call them out. And so Jesus said in Revelation chapter three, verse twenty, He said, "But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols." So here was this false teacher in the church that they were tolerating. Why? Because they wouldn't judge them. And Jesus didn't say, there are some people who are doing this. Watch out for these people. Without naming them. He named the name. Now, I'm not saying just go around shooting names out all over the place and having a list and what. No, but. Make sure that they're, what you're saying they're doing, that they're actually doing. Right. And, 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 and. Leave it, have it contextually based. Someone ask you about someone, say it. If someone's saying, hey, what about this preacher? Mention it. Don't hold back. You're a father, right? Phil, you're a father. Yes. Yes. There are three pedophiles in the neighborhood, but you don't want to tell your daughters who they are because you don't want to judge. So just stay away from certain people. No, you're going to say, stay away from this guy, stay away from that guy, you're going to name him, and stay away from that address, 84 uh, whatever street. That was very judgmental. Yeah, but you're going to warn your children and name names to tell them to stay away from people Why? who are dangerous Why? because you love them. My exactly. wife did that. My wife looked up to see if there were any yeah. sexual predators in her neighborhood. Sure, and, and to warn your children. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because you're going to feel horrible because you were trying to protect their... No, stay away from this person. Mm-hmm. Multiple, 
a sex offender. Paul says, mark those who cause division. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm not yeah. saying you can't forgive. I'm not saying we can't have grace. But that's also a temptation for the sex offender. Yeah. So we've looked at several verses and some cliches at this time. But let's go to a topic and unpack several verses that deal uh, with this particular issue. So let me start it off with a question. Does the Bible command believers to tithe? Uh-oh. To buy the lies? Tithe. 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 Okay. Just go tithe. Tithe. Yeah. Okay, not, that, that accent's not, coming out, right? Yeah, not... Yes, not tithe your sneakers, Glenn. Well, what's the, well, hey, okay, first of all, what's tithing? I know, but maybe they don't know. The well, tithing, tithe means, it means a tenth. A yes. tenth. So Correct. we're going to see, and we'll look through this, but the Bible commanded that Israelites gave a tenth of their produce and their livestock, right? For the, so not $10? No, no, a tenth oh, okay. of whatever you earn. Got it. So we hear a lot of that today in church. So when I got saved, I was told that I'm required to give a tenth of my income, my gross income, I'm to give a tenth to God. And I was told that if I don't give a tenth, I'm doing something to God. And what is it? You're robbing God. I'm robbing a thief. So I'm called a thief and I'm actually robbing God. And what is is God doing while you're doing that? Yeah. So the fact that God could be robbed is a problem. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But so where do they get this from? I believe it comes from the book of that famous Italian prophet, Malachi. Malachi? <laughs> the book of Malachi 3.8. Phil, you want to read that verse? Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. There you you go. are cursed with a curse. I, I, I'm very familiar with this verse because I was in churches that said it every day. And it, it's in my brain. So please explain to me what this means. Wait, yeah. wait. And matter of fact, Glenn, when he called up Pastor Peter to come to the church, I think one of the first questions you asked is, "Do you believe in tithing?" Do you not? In, do you believe in the the virgin birth? Do you believe in this prayer? Right. It's, do you believe in Do you believe in tithing? What's your, no? What's your position on tithing? Because I think it's the it's the it's that dividing line. That's a how question. you deal with it. Tells me where you you put your heart, your principles, and how and how faithful you are to the text. And what did Peter say? He said. He says, I don't believe in that. I don't think it applies to the New Testament. And you give whatever you want. And you've been a member ever since. Yes. <laughs> and now you're a deacon. Yes. So we're going to look at if someone doesn't tithe, are they really robbing God? So we need to put the principle into play here. First mm. is investigation, correct? Yes. 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 So we have to look at some things. Okay. Number one, who is he speaking to here and why? Good right? Yes. Who is Malachi or Malachi? Yeah. Malachi to? was a prophet. Mm-hmm. And he was speaking to Jews who were living under the Mosaic law. Correct. 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 And who is being addressed here? Is it the people or is it the leaders in the book of Malachi? Well, I think most people are going to say it's the people, right? It's talking about us. Yes. Right. But it's not. No. no not He's really addressing the priests and the Levites, the leaders, mm-hmm. right, who are corrupt. So the tribe of Levi was responsible for temple worship. Yes. Right. 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 But was every Levite a priest? No. No. But every priest had to be a Levite, Levite, right? So if we do some investigation, let's find out what tithe is, what robbing God looks like, and then we can get a better understanding. Mm. So, Glenn, would you read Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32? Okay. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And if every tithe 
of herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. So a uh, tithe is a tenth of all your possessions, your fruit, your produce, your grain, your animals, and it was holy to the Lord. So people would come and they would bring their tithe and give it to the Levites, correct? Right. Not, and, not, not their dollar bills? Well, they didn't have money. It, was okay. a, it wasn't, you know. It was it, an agricultural society. Exactly. Yeah. So and, they would bring their produce and whatever they grew and whatever they raised to uh, the Levites and give them a tenth and it would support the uh, temple worship. Phil, read Numbers 18, 21 and through 22. To the Levites I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do. Their service in the tent of meeting so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting lest they bear sin and die. Yes. So God commanded that the people bring a tenth of all their produce to the Levites. Now when the Levites received the tithe, what did they do with it? Numbers 18.28, so you shall also present a contribution to the Lord for all your tithe, which you receive from the people of Israel, and from it you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. In other words, the Levites were to take a tenth from the people, and then they were to give a tenth of what they took and give it to the priesthood to support the priesthood. That's giving it to the Lord. Correct. That's, that's because, a lot of math right there. Yeah. So that's what 1%, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's 1%, right? Mm-hmm. So the tithe was brought to the storehouse. Where did that tithe come from? The people or the priests wait, or the Levites? Wait, the, the people, right? No? no. No. Oh, okay. So when he says bring your tithe to the storehouse, which we'll see, yeah. it was the Levites who brought the tithe to the storehouse. Because the storehouse was technically God's and that's holy and the people exactly. didn't go there. Okay. And that's where the temple was or the tabernacle, there was a storehouse. Right. So... um. There were 48 towns that God allocated for the Levites to live in, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And so when they collected the tithe, mm. the people would bring their tithe to those towns, right. right? And those Levites in those towns would collect the tithe. Right. Then those Levites would take a tenth of what they collected to the people, which is 1%, and they would bring it to the Jer- Jerusalem, to the temple, or to the tabernacle during that time, and give it to the priests. Wow. Right? Yeah. So there was a system of tithe that supported the temple worship, mm-hmm. but also some of the tithes was used for the poor. Right. Correct? Mm-hmm. So it was the social welfare system of Israel that the people were supporting. So this is in a larger context, though. From Malachi chapter 3, it's actually verse 8 through 11, isn't it? Yes. And not just verse 8. Yes. Right. So just like we looked at the verse in Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged, yet there's more. Here again, yet there's more. Um, context, context, yeah. context. So, but, but I want to get this. But listen, one more verse we're going to read. Yes, sir. Right? We want to understand what the storehouse is. Right, because that's we're going to see that that's in Malachi. Important. Wait, wait, I got it, Steve. The storehouse is the local church. No, right? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> well, that's what people the, would tell the you. Collection survey plate of the local says. Church? Well, the, the collection plate of the local church. Read <laughs> Nehemiah chapter ten, verse thirty-eight. I'm going to be wrong, right? Okay, I'll read it. Um, and the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites with when the Levites receive the tithes, and the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the off the tithes to the house of our God, to the chambers of the storehouse. Okay. So the Levites received 10% from the people. Yes. In turn, the Levites took 10% of that 10%, 
right? Yes. And they brought it to the storehouse. Mm-hmm. Where was the storehouse? In the house of our God. Yeah, next to the temple. Yeah. It was the place where the, the, the grain and all the animals and everything, it's a place where they stored all the tithe to support the priests in their work and to support the ongoing functions of the temple. Correct? Mm-hmm. Right. So now if we read Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. The full context. The full context. Let me read that. Let me Go read ahead. That. Uh, uh, I can do it from memory. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are Malachi 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that it will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. So here we have the context, right? And so Malachi is addressing the Levites, the leaders. And he's rebuked, God is rebuking them because they're bringing lame and crippled sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not bringing all of the tithe into the storehouse. Right. So who is bringing the tithe into the storehouse, the people or the Levites? The Levites. So God is rebuking the leaders mm-hmm. who are not, who are taking 10% from the people and holding on to some of it. So, so, so Steve, Basically what you're saying, remember, God criticizes them for saying, you're, you're giving me the corrupted parts, the mm-hmm. bad parts. So that implies that, it, that they got good things yes. from the people. Yes. The way we're interpreting the scripture now is that we, the regular parishioners, we're giving, we are the problem. That's not what this text is talking this about. Is, and those who want to use this text in a Christian context to say that we're the ones, it's actually a a. a, a condemnation against themselves because God is rebuking the leaders, which are these pastors, these prosperity preachers who are telling people that they're sinning because they're not paying tithe. God is actually saying, no, they're paying tithe, but you're misusing my money for your own personal gain. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's really a rebuke against these prosperity preachers. But look, we're going to look into it a little bit more. Uh, Well, I, I really like that because all the prosperity preachers that are trying to really shame the people and manipulate the people and say, listen, you must tithe. And if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. I mean, really, this indictment applied would be against the prosperity preacher himself. Exactly. Right, right. So he's got egg on his own face and he can't even see it. Right. And how, what does that make? Listen, you're a new Christian. You're sitting in church and someone tells you, if you're not giving 10%, you're robbing God. What are you going to think? I robbed God. I love God. I don't want to rob God. So I'm going to give my 10%. Is there anything wrong with giving 10%? No. 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 Right? I think that's too little. Yeah. We're going to look at that in a little while, but let's get back to this, right? So what what else does he say in here, Glenn? He He says- the curse. Yeah, the curse. He says, you'll be cursed with a curse. I've heard um, Ed Young, a pastor, say that if you don't tithe- Everything you do is going to be cursed, right? Mm. Your marriage is going to be cursed. Your children are going to be cursed, right? So if you bring the 10% into the storehouse, Robert Morris is another one. If you bring your 10% into the storehouse, which they define as what? The church. The church. Right? The coffers. 
the 90% will be blessed. But if you don't bring in your 10%, the 90% or the 100% will be cursed. And so if you don't tie, they'll say you're under a curse. So what curse are they talking about? They're referring to the curse that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, there's blessings and curses for those who are living under what? The Old Covenant. The Law of Moses, the Old Covenant, correct? And if you would obey the covenant, there's promised blessings. And if you disobey the covenant, there's what? Promised curses. Curses. So, Phil, read Deuteronomy 28.15, which are some of, he's talking about the curses. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I commanded you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock, cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you come out. So Malachi's audience yes. were people, Israelites, living under the Mosaic law. The Levites. Yeah. That was the audience. Yeah. So they weren't paying their tithe. Yes. Were they under a curse? Yes. Yes. Because they were disobeying the law that God commanded them to give a tenth and bring it into the storehouse, right? Got it, got it. So they were cursed, right? What's the problem with trying to apply the same principle to Christians? Well, one of the biggest problems is we are no longer under the Old Covenant law. We're not under the Mosaic law. We don't even live in Israel. There are no Levites. There's no Levites, and there's no temple. Exactly. So we don't have the same context. So what was the purpose of the tithe? The purpose of the tithe was to support uh, the Levites. The Levitical priesthood. Yeah. Yes. The Levitical priesthood worked where? What building did they work in? In the temple. In the temple. Is there a temple today? No. So that means if there's no temple, guess what else there isn't? A Levitical priesthood. priesthood. Or a storehouse. And if there's no storehouse, and if there's no Levitical priesthood and no storehouse, what else isn't valid? The, the tithe. tithe. The tithe, right? Boom. Boom. And I do not have any agricultural produce to give. <laughs> right? It's impossible. And see, they use this verse to manipulate Christians, to bring guilt upon Christians, to tell you that you are under a curse if you don't tithe. That if you don't bring in your 10%, your 90 will be cursed. This is true if you're living under the Mosaic law. Those who teach Christians are under a curse for not keeping the tithe right, are themselves under a curse. Why? Listen, listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter three, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law to rely on what? To find favor with God, to be pleasing to God, relying on the works of the law are under a Curse. curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law to do them. So if someone's teaching you as a Christian, you have to tithe, are they teaching you grace or are they teaching you law? Law. Absolutely law. And if you obey one point of the law, you have to obey all all of it. And if you break one, you've broken it all. So they're teaching you to find favor with God, to get blessings from God. By the law. By the law, you must tithe in order to be blessed. Galatians 3.13 says this, 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the same curse that was upon the Levites for not bringing in the tithe to the storehouse, Deuteronomy 28, which we read, those curses, right? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. The concept of Christian tithing cannot be found anywhere in the New Testament. So how do they push this? They always appeal to Old Testament passages. Wait, wait, Malachi is not, not, not in the New Testament. It's right next to Matthew. <laughs> it's right there. Separated by about 500 years, brother. <laughs> at least 400 yeah, years. Yeah. So, yeah. so now there's some objections, and that's what I want to look at now. We're going to look at some of the objections that people bring up and say, no, brother, you're wrong. Mm. Steve, Glenn, Phil, you're wrong. The Bible does teach tithing in the New Testament. And so some of the passages that they go to, we're going to look at a few of them. Matthew 23, 23, and Luke eleven forty two both say the same thing. And Phil, read that. What does that say? He starts out with a woe. Woe, which means cursed to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. Sounds like judgment words. Mm. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guide, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. He, there you go. Jesus said that you ought to tithe. It's in the New Testament. Isn't Matthew in the New Testament? It is. Okay. Right so, after Malachi. Yep. So let's now ask some questions, right? Who was Jesus speaking to? The Pharisees, because they're not fair. You and see. scribes. What did Jesus tell them they ought to do? Tithe. To, well, yeah, he says they ought to tithe, but they should they shouldn't neglect the exactly justice, mercy. So and we're looking at the issue of tithing. So he told them that they ought to tithe, right? Mm. Yes. When did Jesus say this to the Pharisees? Before the cross or after the cross? I think this is before the cross. Definitely so prior. Before the cross, what covenant were they living under? The old covenant. covenant. I like where you're going, brother. Right. Yeah, yeah. So Jesus was speaking to Pharisees living under the old covenant law. Yes. Would Jesus tell them to stop tithing? No. Because what would Jesus be doing then? Going against the Levitical law. Right? We're going against Jesus the law would Moses. actually be sinning yes. by telling people to not obey God's law. And, yes. you know, you know, and what would happen if Jesus sinned? What would where, where would we be? On our way to hell. Exactly. <laughs> so Jesus wasn't condoning. New Testament tithing, he was telling people under the law, you have to tithe because the law commands you to tithe, right? And Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to break the law. Yes. Steve Furtick says, God broke the law for love. No, he didn't. And Jesus didn't break the law, and Jesus would never command anyone to break the law. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been the Savior. He came to fulfill the law. But the issue is people point to this verse to prove tithing. So we can, right now, so we can ax out Matthew 23, 23 and Luke eleven forty two, and we can definitively say that Jesus is not teaching New Testament tithing here, correct? D definitely because of who he's addressing. Okay. Here's another one. Glenn, would you read Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 and 2? For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So Abraham meets Melchizedek, right? Mm. And he gives him a tenth part of what, Glenn? Everything. Here's where going to the New Testament helps us to interpret the old. Mm. We don't know what everything is right now, do we? Mm. It just says everything. Right. 
If we look at Genesis 14, 17 through 20, Phil, you want to read that? After his return from the defeat of, how do you say that again? Shallow. That guy. That guy. Shallow <laughs> Lomar. That was not even Chet. close. <laughs> and the kings who were with him. We're from Brooklyn and the Bronx. <laughs> the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the Valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Who gave a tenth to Melchizedek? Abraham. What was the tenth that Abraham gave? A one-time offering which consisted of a tenth of everything. So we don't know what everything is right now, right? No, I don't so know So all we know that everything is everything. That's right. But if you go back to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, Glenn, Hebrews 7, 4 explains what, what was everything that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. A tenth of his own possessions. No, no, no. Tenth of the spoils. The spoils of what? Well, he was defending his... He went to save his brother Lot, his he went, nephew Lot, and then they got stuff. So, but think about it. Hebrews 7, 4 says that Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Abraham didn't give one thin red penny of his own money to Melchizedek. Correct. Only the spoils that he received in battle. Wow. And when did Abraham give the tithe? It was prior to the law of Moses. So based on this fact, those who teach tithing precedes the law by pointing to Abraham are not telling the truth. They're, they're either misinformed, mm -hmm. right? Or they're twisting scripture. It makes me think of Chubby Checkers. Yes. Come on, baby. Exactly. Do the twist. Do the twist. And, and it, yeah, and it says a tenth because he's saying a tenth. Exactly. And it was the spoils, not his own possessions. So we can appeal now to Abraham and Melchizedek to teach New Testament tithing correct? because Abraham did it one time and he didn't give him a dime of his own money. Correct. And now the next verse they use is Jacob. So Phil, you want to read Gen uh, Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So who is the initiator in the tithe here? Jacob's making the vow. Yeah. What did Jacob promise to give to God? A full tenth. When? If God fulfilled his part of the vow. If yeah. God fulfilled his vow, his part of the vow. If you bring me back safely to my father's house, if you're with me, I will give you a tenth. So it was conditional. Yeah. So those who are teaching New Testament tithing by appealing to this verse are also teaching that, well, Glenn, you can tithe only if God does give you that Cadillac. Right. Right. right? Yeah. You can make some vows and make some bargains give with me that God. wife. Yeah, right? Lord, if you give <laughs> me a wife, it, I'll give you... Lord, I am so... If you give me a wife, Lord, I'll give you 10 and a half percent. Or 11, if yeah. I get that boat it's too. It's like making deals with God. Yeah. So what scriptures then teach New Testament tithing? I got to reread the Bible again. Yes, yeah. none, right? But does the Bible speak about giving anywhere? 
Yes. yes. Does the New Testament speak about giving? Yes. What does 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 teach us? Listen to this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give a tenth. No. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So here, Paul is teaching about the the principle of giving, right? And what's the purpose of giving? What was Paul doing here? Was he coming to Corinth and saying, okay, you need to pay tithe to the local church? No, and, 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 and also it sounds like he's not saying just throw the ten in there and don't worry about it. Exactly. Oh, okay. Well, there's a few things going That's on. That's what we're taught today. Right. Just, just just throw that tenth in there. Mm-hmm. And you're good. God's going to bless you. Yeah. Paul wasn't teaching tithing here because what was Paul doing? He was collecting money. Collecting mm-hmm. money for who? For the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, right. Right? right? So there were poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and Paul was collecting money for them. We see that in Romans chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. Uh, Glenn, you want to read that? Yeah. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Corinth is located in the region of Acacia in Greece, right? Yes. In Paul's first letter, he instructed the church of Corinth, which is located in the region of Acacia, to set aside money every week. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 16, 1-3. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so I also tell you, on the first day of every week, each of you are to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, or as the King James Version says, as God has prospered him so that there will be no collection when I come. How much did Paul instruct them to give? As, as much as God has as prospered, prospered them to you. give. Yeah. Right? So here we see Paul is taking a collection. Paul is not teaching that, okay, you need to tithe to your local church. Paul is saying that each man should give according to what he has decided in his own heart. Wow. Is yeah. there anything wrong with a Christian saying, I, I want to choose to tithe? I don't think there's anything there wrong with that. There could be and there could not be, per se. Well, let me just give you this little analogy. Let's say you have a friend who owns a chocolate factory and he invites you to take a private tour. The good news, he's not like Willy Wonka. The bad news, he doesn't give you even a sample. Hours pass, he offers you zero chocolate. What's going on? Finally, when you leave, he says, wait, I want to give you some chocolate. He drops a single M&M in your hand, but yet he owns an entire chocolate factory. What would you think about your quote-unquote friend? Cheapskate. (laughs) Exactly. Cheapskate. He loves chocolate more than anything, or he doesn't like me very much. Now, imagine how God feels when a man who makes a million dollars a year gives God a tenth I suspect God would think he doesn't like me very much, he loves his money too much, and he's stingy. This is one reason why the 10% is simply not biblical. So you can give 10%, but some Christians can't afford to give 10%, and you shouldn't shame them if they can't. Well, I was at a church in Brooklyn, and one day there was a, a, a young woman, and my wife and I were kind of discipling her and encouraging her, and one day she called me up frantically crying. 
I said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she said, I was told by one of the deacons at the church that I have to give a tithe this month. And if I pay my tithe, I can't pay my rent. Boom. And I said, what? She says, yes, what should I do? I said, pay your rent. I said, and if they tell you that God wants you to pay the tithe, tell them that God told me to tell you that you're to pay my rent. <laughs> All right? <laughs> right? And see how quick they, t- they turn around. Right. But they were telling this poor woman that wow. God wants her tithe when she can't afford to pay her rent. So Jan Crouch, TBN, right? The she big hair? Passed away, but yeah. She once said to the housewives, that, oh, to the senior citizens, whoever it was, that, that, that money you have stowed away for food, give it to the Lord. So there are these shysters, right? And these charlatans who are, who are playing on the ignorance of Christians by taking scripture and twisting it and making and guilting them into giving money to their ministries, right? Yeah. And people think that if they give God a 10%, that God is going to bless them. So they're giving to God it's like an investment. If I give 10%, I'm going to get back double. So, so let's go back to Twitch's scripture again. All right. So we were in Malachi. You're reading Malachi. You say, okay, I've done some investigation. I've interpreted it. The problem is we just went through all these verses that's established that, that people have misinterpreted. Sometimes you do have to do this kind of study where you have to say, okay, I've read Malachi. It's talking to the priest. It's not talking about tithing. Okay, now I got to find out what the Bible does say about tithing. And then you got to go through that process that we just went through. It's called the full counsel of God. Right. You, 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 so, so when we're saying scripture, you can't just isolately say, okay, this scripture was wrong. I misapplied it. Oh, I'm done. That was a great study. It's kind of like, okay, now I got to rethink everything. Like Glenn said, after you figure out what's wrong, you also have to know what's right. Exactly. So if we're saying, okay, well, this is not what we ought to do, well, then what are we to do? Yeah, we're not exactly. telling people don't give. No, definitely Please. not. Please. Yeah. And, and if you, and if you want to get my bank account information, uh, you can email me <laughs> privately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do give, us three at the table, we financially support the local church. We physically serve. We physically serve, you know, we pray for the people. And, um, but tithing is not something we preach and teach because we don't believe that is biblical because again, we're under the new covenant. I don't want to have people being forced to give. I want people to get, I want you to, to love God so much, to love the church so much, to be so thankful for the things that God has given us for us to say, here, t- take, God, I have so much. You've given me so much. Take it. I know there's a need that needs to be filled. We are missionaries out there that are starving, that are, that are struggling in another country who left all to serve you. I don't need as much as I have. I don't want you to say, well, I gave my tent. We still got a missionary out there that's in Africa who's in the middle of the jungle that's starving, but I gave my tenth, so the church needs to figure out how to make that tenth multiply. And I remember something Glenn preached a while back when he preached on uh, lust uh, and, and, and just making sure and you know that you could put a check mark in the box that like you didn't yes. do that today. Well, some people treat this area like that too. Box. I gave 10%. Check, so I'm good with God. I'm blessed. Yeah. I'm blessed. Yeah. My blessing from God comes because I gave right. my 10%. Right. And that's what the prosperity preachers are saying. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Yes. Start with tithing. 
The Blessed Life. Robert Morris, he's a crook. Don't listen to him. He's a charlatan. Judgmental. Right? Yeah, very judgmental. He wrote a book, The Blessed Life, and he's teaching you that if you give your 10%, right, that God is going to bless the 90. And he also said this, if you do not tithe, you're opening a door to demons. Mm. Ouch. If you have his book, put it in your paper shredder yes. at this time. And I've heard multiple preachers, multiple churches say, borrow that money if you have to. Well, listen to this. I was actually under a pastor, and somebody said, I've been asked, uh, should I tithe on my net or on my gross? And his answer was, do you want a net blessing or a gross <laughs> blessing? It's not even funny, but it's It's funny. not even funny, wow. but it's like, uh, it's ridiculous. So, 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 it's so, a Christian lotto. So, it is. So, so, so if you're listening to this and we're talking about a twisted scripture, you're like, well, this is interesting. This is like a theological, we're just talking about the Bible. I like hearing, no, this destroys people's faith. This, this is creating bondage in people's lives. It's important to interpret scripture correctly. It's what if that young, deal. what if that young woman obeyed that deacon and Out didn't pay her rent? Homeless now. Yeah, she'd be in the street. She could have been evicted. Do you think she's going to be a good big advocate for Christianity and for the Lord? Do you think the church would have helped her when she got evicted? Probably not. No. (laughs) Not unless they take 10% from everybody else. (laughs) No. Exactly. Right, right. And I mean, we're we're being played by this idea of hypocrisy, and that's one thing that happens. And we need to be generous people. Yes. Yes. Right? Overall generous people. Mm -hmm. And so God has been generous to us. We need to be generous with others. We need to be generous with our time, our talents, and our treasures. And just one more thing, I got to say this is a gripe of mine. Many preachers that focus so much on giving alone, they never teach people financial stewardship that you Mm. can save and spend money as well. So you can give money, you could spend money, and you could save money. Those are the three things you could do with money. Yes. And so we need to be good stewards and do all three of those things for the glory of God, as Steve said. So now that we've looked at these two passages of scripture and we've looked at one particular verse and we've looked at basically a topic of tithing. So we've looked at judging and tithing and what the Bible really says about these things in context. Um, You need to make sure that you are reading the scriptures in its context. Apply the principles, investigate the scripture, interpret the scripture and implement the scripture into your lives so you can become more like Christ in every facet of your lives. Hopefully the steps that we gave you helped you to rightly divide the word of truth in practical and tangible ways. Well, I hope this has been extremely helpful for you. It's been helpful for each of us, hasn't it, guys? Yes. Yes. Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it and look forward to joining us for part four on Twisted Scripture and Christian Cliches. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishyministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It. 